Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 328 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. I'm recording this episode from my hotel room here in Flagstaff, Arizona. You can probably expect to see a little bit more of this as my time traveling will increase here this coming year. On today's episode, I had a wonderful time speaking with a photographer named Shuan. She is from Singapore and she's focused most of her work on the landscapes of Japan. I first discovered her work through the recommendation of one of our listeners and I became quite enamored with it, so much so that I decided to write an article about her and her work for On Landscape Magazine. On today's podcast, Shuan and I discuss how her pursuit of photography helped her grieve the loss of her mother and how it has now become a vehicle for personal expression and exploration. Before we get started, I want to thank our latest supporter of the podcast on Patreon, Sandra Westerman. Without the support of listeners like Sandra on Patreon, this podcast would not continue. So thank you so much to everyone who has stepped up to help out in keeping the podcast alive. I really, really do appreciate it more than you can know. If you also would like to help out, please visit patreon.com forward slash f-stop and listen to join and support us. Thank you so much in advance. Okay, let's get to this week's episode with Shuan. All right, Shuan, it is so wonderful to have you on the podcast. Hi, Matt. It's good to see you um, in person. (laughs) Right, it's virtually, of course, but, you know, it's almost like we see each other's face, which is super fun. (laughs) Yep. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. I have to say that I had an absolute pleasure in uh, writing that article about your photography for On Landscape a few months ago. It was so much fun just getting to look through all of your photography and then trying to piece together kind of the interplay between you and your photography. So I just wanted to thank you for letting me write that article. Thank you for writing such a beautiful article. I really appreciate it. Um, I find it yeah, difficult okay. to talk about my photography, so to have someone else talk about my photography really helps. Yes, it's so much easier, right? <laughs> awesome. Well, for, for people that maybe haven't read that article or aren't familiar with you and your photography, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Shen Hui Ng. Uh, I'm originally from Singapore, and I've been living and working in Japan for the past um, 12, 13 years. Uh, I used to be um, in the field of finance. I was an investment banker for about, um, I can't remember, 14, 15 years. Um, And I left about seven, eight years ago for good um, to set up a company to teach um, investment bankers and also to photograph more. Well, in order to photograph more, I should say. Gotcha. So you're, you're your own boss. You can make your own schedule. That's right. <laughs> to the extent possible. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. And then, so you're kind of doing a mixture of photography and these teaching these uh, finance types things. Um, and are you single, married, have kids, any of that going on? Single, <laughs> dating my camera. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Yes, um, no kids. Um, I have a brother and a sister, uh, seven years and nine years younger. So um, I guess I'm sort of like an auntie to to them. (laughs) Yes. Okay, awesome. Well, I'd love for you to tell us how you got into photography, because it seems like a, a pretty drastic transition from finance. Right. Uh, so, yes, I was in the field of finance most of my life. Um, and I think my first uh, real encounter with um, the world of art was when I was shopping for um, a poster for my dormitory room uh, when I was during my first year of college. Uh, I chanced upon the poster of Monet. Um, Sunrise. Uh, I didn't know who he was, <laughs> very embarrassingly. Um, and But uh, I fell in love with um, the image, uh, his, his painting. And one thing led to another, I started reading up more about him um, and, about, and, and then um, about the Impressionist movement. Uh, the second poster that 
went on my wall was uh, Renoir, uh, Renoir's um, painting, well, poster. And then I fell in love with Chagall. Um, but with, with photography, uh, it was just about 12, 13 years ago. I, I lost my mom in the year 2000, so straight after I came out of college. And a certain relationship issues complicated uh, the matter. And I was at the lowest point in my life. Then I went to, I think I reached the lowest point in my life and I realized I needed to do something about it because it was affecting my uh, friends and family. But it took six years for me to make that decision um, or to reach that point. And I went to Tibet uh, to volunteer at an orphanage um, and that that program also enabled uh, the volunteers to go on some sightseeing trips. And it was on one such sightseeing trip uh, that took us to Lake Namso. And it was sitting there um, at the edge of Lake Namso that I experienced a sense of peace um, that I've not felt for a very, very long time. I took some photographs uh, with my point-and-shoot camera uh, on the trip. And they turned out okay, and, and uh, someone else had a digital SR camera, um, and that planted a seed in my mind, because I thought, oh, you know, I, I probably can make better pictures um, if I had a better camera. So I went back um, to my work, to being an, an investment banker. But about three years later, when I was in between jobs, uh, I decided to take some workshops at the Santa Fe workshops. And um, it was there at the Santa Fe shops, um, well, the photography school, where I met uh, a number of teachers uh, like Nevada Weir, Arthur Meyer, mm. and Elizabeth Opelanik, um, who taught me the ABCs of photography. Yeah, that's great. I, um, I've had Nevada Weir recommended for the podcast a few times, and I've reached out to her, so the name is familiar to me. Uh, so it's good to hear that people that are recommending good guests. <laughs> well, that's awesome. You know, I'm curious, you were talking about the impressionistic painters and I'm curious to what degree uh, your fascination or interest in that type of painting has influenced the types of images that you make now with a camera. I think that was my first impression of what um, art was, um, I guess, supposed to be. <laughs> so, I mean, that formed my um, my basic education, I mean, um, into the world of art. And so I think unconsciously and um, consciously, I, I think I'm looking to create um, or recreate that atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think it just filters into my photographs uh, when I'm making work. Um, I think it formed uh, the way I saw things. Mm-hmm. Love it. Well, let's talk about your journey to Japan. I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about how you've been able to kind of rediscover yourself by photographing the landscapes that you find in Japan. I think... Um, when I was in finance, I realized I came to realize that every holiday I took was um, to Japan. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought. Uh, so an advice that I received from one of my um, ex bosses, one of the managing directors um, whom I worked for, was you should first decide on where you want to live, and then try to find a job there. So that was his advice. So I did that. I decided I wanted to move to Japan and and started looking for a job there. I think my... So why Japan? I first traveled to uh, Hokkaido, um, the northern part of Japan, to ski when I was a child, I think about seven years old. So um, it's that... Uh, nostalgia, I guess, for the good old childhood days where things were just so simple um, that um, kept the attraction for me. Um, my mother was alive then. Um, I think life was as a high school, actually elementary kid, was very, very simple. It was just like homework <laughs> uh, for yeah. the holidays and, and that was about it. 
So um, I think it's it's just wanting to relive those memories that brought me back to Hokkaido. And then, of course, creating new ones there as well. Mm-hmm. And maybe tell us a little bit about what the landscape is like there. I mean, I think there's a lot of mountainous terrain and deciduous trees. But beyond that, I my knowledge of Japan is pretty limited. So maybe you can kind of paint a picture for us, no pun intended. <laughs> right. So um, I think Hokkaido is, um, well, the north, like one of the northernmost islands in Japan. A lot of it is agricultural land. For example, my, uh, like my ski coach would uh, teach skiing in winter, and he would be a farmer in other seasons. Um, and they would farm, I think it's the biggest uh, producer. Hokkaido is the biggest producer of a number of agriculture products. I think like potatoes, maize, um, I'm not sure about rice. It's surrounded by mountains um, and lakes and forests, uh, so it's really beautiful. The temperatures fluctuate quite a fair bit within the day. Like I was there in May. Uh, in the morning, it was like zero degrees Celsius. But by the afternoon, it was 20 degrees Celsius. Um, so that's quite a big change. Um, in winters, uh, it gets very cold, minus 16 degrees Celsius and below. And so that's three degrees Fahrenheit and below. Um, and according to the locals, uh, it was like such cold days were much more frequent in the past. Hmm. So we are seeing um, weather changes there and climate changes. I think the temperatures there have been increasing on average. Gotcha. Sounds very similar to where I live. <laughs> I mean, you touched on this a little bit, but how has photography become a vehicle to help you overcome grief? I think first and foremost, it was a distraction. It was, it was a new habit um, that um, distracted me. And I think um, being surrounded by nature, uh, I think studies have shown that nature has the power to heal and even images of nature. So I think just being around it, personally, I felt that everything just proceeded at a slower pace. I was able to um, enjoy just being. (laughs) I mean, I was um, in the field of finance, so there were deadlines, everything was in a rush, there was a lot of pressure, Um, there was a lot of human politics, like strategizing, um, maneuvering. So, but but nature is just simple, it's pure, it's without ambitions and intentions. Um, So I think being there, I was able to, being surrounded by nature, I was able to relax. For me, photographing was just um, a means to prolong the sense of peace I felt when surrounded by nature. It was that little token that I would take with me after each trip to remind me of what it was like to be surrounded by nature. Got it. And for you, how long did that process take in terms of engaging with the landscape with your camera and then feeling like you had made significant progress towards dealing with or handling your feelings of grief? I think for the first um, four or five years um, after starting photography, I was still in investment banking. So I think the little trips that I made to photograph landscapes, usually it's like four or five days, um, maybe each season. So that helped, but but um, it was just like putting out fires, right? I was stressed and then I went on a trip, I got better. And then I go back to the good old finance and got stressed again. <laughs> so, so, and uh, on the back of it was uh, the grief, like dealing with the grief. Um, and the issues. So I think it was only when I really left um, investment banking that um, gave me more time to photograph. And that was when I did a mentorship with um, through the Santa Fe workshops with Nevada Weir for, I think we, um, I, I renewed it twice, so like three times. So, well, perhaps about three years, we would meet um, virtually 
once about once a month or every time I have work to show her so so that made it so I think having someone to regularly show my work to um, help to create um, and add um, to the process in terms of feeling the effects yeah, I would say it's after I left uh, investment banking and but it became so natural. I mean, it wasn't like conscious. It was in a conscious moment that I felt, ah, I healed. Um, it was, um, I think it just took time. And, but I felt I was getting better. I was getting happier, basically. Um, I wasn't unhappy or sad anymore. So um, that was how I um, would, um, I, I guess, measure <laughs> yeah effects of photography uh, photographing nature mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense well one of the things that i really appreciate about your photography is that it seems like you have collected a wide range of images that are focused on these ephemeral moments that are very fleeting that um, you have to kind of be there to see it and experience it and you have to have the the photography skills to know when to capture the image at the right moment. And for me, those are some of my favorite types of nature photographs. So I'm curious Mm -hmm. for you, how have you been able to find ways to photograph such incredible ephemeral moments so consistently? I have to say that I've been very, very lucky. I think likewise, I mean, of course, you know, the knowledge of the weather, um, photography skills matter, but um, I think luck plays um, a tremendous part in my photography. Nature is my collaborator um, in these images. Sometimes I chance upon these wonderful scenes. Of course, as I got to know, um, learn more about the weather patterns, um, I begin to search actively for, for example, for fog instead of just chancing upon them. Uh, for diamond dust, it's the same thing. Um, I think, uh, but but the element of luck still remains um, because sometimes I would just be driving by and I would see this amazing scene. And um, by discovering these uh, like scenes by accident, I learn more about the place and about nature. So it's sort of like a virtuous cycle that feeds onto um, the other. So, um, yeah, but I've been very, very lucky. Well, you know, they say that luck favors the prepared. Yes. <laughs> I would like to think that I'm prepared. <laughs> but, for example, there was this once. Um, I had a great lunch, right? And I was feeling very guilty. Um, because I thought, oh, you know, I lost some time photographing. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I will go to um, photograph right after lunch, after the camera at the back of my car. And so I went to somewhere close, but somewhere where I usually wouldn't go to at that point in time. And then I chanced upon this massive numbers of uh, snow bugs. So they are white, they are aphids with white wings and they were glistening in the in the setting sun. So that was a chance encounter. There was another time where I went to a place to photograph in the morning. I left my lens on the bridge <laughs> so, uh, where I was photographing. And so in the afternoon, I suddenly realized that and I had to go back to the same place right? that I've had a photograph in the morning and then I discovered again snow bugs so um so I was just sometimes it's it's really a matter of luck and 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 I feel that because I'm so blessed with these opportunities I feel a greater sense of need to um create these images um to do um to do justice to its beauty and to um, to show my gratitude right, to nature. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny though because yeah, you have to be lucky, but also it takes a certain amount of observational skills and 
probably some intangibles as well for someone to be able to recognize that there's a photograph in what you're observing. Yeah, I, I, I think I photograph um, sometimes um, by gut. Um, I just go to what attracts me. And, and like sometimes I just see a potential in a place and I would stay there for very long. But um, at other times, I would just pass it by. So um, I, I guess it's the chemistry between uh, the place and um, the photographer. Yeah, I love that. Well, as you already know, I am very fond of your photography. And to me, it kind of seems like you just came out of nowhere, like one day, I didn't know who you were. And then the next day I had a bunch of people saying, you should, you need to look at this person's work there. It's really good. So what do you think has been your secret to building your talent so quickly? Nevada Weir. <laughs> Nevada Weir is my secret. <laughs> I think the years of, um, and, and of course, Santa Fe workshops where I met all the other teachers, because I would go back. Um, I think I was there after I left banking for good for another series of workshops. And then I went back again after a few years to learn more about the technical side. So the teachers whom I've met there um, have been instrumental in my development as a photographer. And the mentorship, um, the three, <laughs> uh, probably three years of mentorship with uh, Nevada really, really helped. Um, I just couldn't I just couldn't get enough of her, so I just kept renewing my mentorship with her. I think that was just so much uh, to learn. And so, like, she trained me up uh, technically, but not just that. She is an amazing teacher because she does not impose her style on me, um, but instead she would help me, she helped me discover um, my voice in photography and helped me develop it through those three years. So I I always mention her because um, uh, without her, like this would not have been possible. And I think, and I was getting a little impatient. I wanted to show my work you know, to the world, but uh, not realizing that I was not ready then. So I think she was very good at pacing me. And um, once she felt I was ready, she referred me to Mary Virginia Swanson, who is um, the marketing guru, um, professional um, in, in photography. And she, um, she guided me in, my next, um, in, in the next step uh, of my journey. So in terms of your development, obviously having a mentor or someone that can give you feedback on the direction you're taking your images and you know, feedback on how well you're executing on the technical side. And and then you mentioned as well, like helping you develop your own voice. I'm curious if you can point to one or two techniques or kind of general things that she would do when you were with her that felt the most impactful in terms of your development. I think at the beginning, it was about watching um, the edges. <laughs> Sorry, I, I was... Oh, yes. Know, that, I mean, I didn't know photography, right? So she taught me the ABCs of photography. Um, so it was just like oh, watching the edges, you know. Um, I, I remember traveling with her uh, to, I think it was to China and to India um, after I left banking. And I remember, like in the image, um, sorry, when we photograph a scene, she would uh, she would notice things like, oh, there's a plastic bag there, which is going to be distracting. So, so it's things like these that um, I wasn't aware of, uh, and I would bring these um, tips back to my own landscape photography like oh watch that branch <laughs> of course we can't really like remove it but if there is like a like a leaf you know sitting like a random one sitting there I would just be careful to um like for example move it aside for the time being and then move back later right or just recompose right that's right I take a step to the right take a step to the left 
Um, and the other thing that she that really stayed with me was that she said to be like when looking through our images when editing. Um, I think that's where she helped me a lot, which was to identify what the strengths of an image are. And she would uh, remind me to um, to be objective when looking at the image and not be influenced by the experience I had when making the image. So, for example, I might have suffered frostbite, you know, and like um, climb through <laughs> uh, um, a lot of things to make that image, but that shouldn't uh, make that image more valuable to me as a result of the experience of having made the image. So I think that was very valuable. Mm. Sorry, there was uh, another person whom I nearly forgot to mention, and that's uh, Takashi Masumi. Uh, he's a local photographer in uh, Hokkaido, where I photograph. And he was the one who guided me around the place um, and also taught me about um, the local magic, magical phenomena like Diamond mm. West. Um, so without him, it's it's also like I, I would not have been able to make um, these images. What What is Diamond Dust? Diamond dust, um, it's, uh, they are basically ice crystals that form in the air when um, the temperatures plunge um, like to like three degrees Fahrenheit and below. Um, there must be the right amount of humidity uh, for um, the air to crystallize. It's like Goldilocks, you know, like there must be enough of this, enough of that. <laughs> so, um, and um, the sun must be bright the next day, so cloudless and windless. That's, uh, that's when you get the optimal conditions um, to witness this amazing scene. But um, I think over the past few years, uh, it's been getting increasingly rare to witness uh, diamond dust. Um, because uh, temperatures are on a rise and the weather is becoming more erratic. So it's, um, it's a bit sad. <laughs> yes. Well, I wanted to go back to the mentorship piece just one more time and ask you one more question about kind of your vision and your voice. Because I, when I look at your work, it definitely has some unique characteristics that are above and beyond what I would say are just, you know, technical tips and tricks that someone can point out and fix, you know, in terms of com composition and things like that. And I'm wondering if you can maybe help us understand what mentorship did in terms of pointing you in a direction that was authentic to your, what you wanted from your photography, while not them, while them not imposing upon you their own kind of style. I think one thing which um, Nevada encouraged me to do when I have when I was making the images was um, to think in terms of to group my images uh, in terms of themes, and that was helpful for showing it on websites as well, um, and also in terms of grouping my images. But the themes that she selected were based on like emotional words, so like loneliness. Mm. So, um, like, um, turbulence, for example. So I think that was an interesting approach. The interesting thing was when she first looked at my images, when I, you know, first um, met her virtually and showed her my collection of images, um, I think she saw many of them as loneliness. So, so I thought, what about solitude? Solitude sounds a little more positive. <laughs> no, I think they have loneliness. So that was quite interesting because I I didn't see it. I didn't see um, it as being loneliness. I guess it was reflective of how I was feeling. So in a way, the images were showing what I was feeling inside. Hmm. Um, but uh, when I was making the images, I was ecstatic. <laughs> I was just happy, but not realizing that it, uh, the images probably reflected an inner state. Hmm. So uh, I'm, I'm not sure, but I suppose the voice in my image is that of 
for example, loneliness, or for example, the sense of calm I felt, um, which was interesting, which is an interesting discovery for myself as well. Yes, yes, I think that's something a lot of people are seeking in their own photography in terms of having a stronger connection to more than just what's the literal interpretation of what's being photographed. Um, and maybe that's a good segue to talk about projects because what I've noticed in your work as well is that you have these very cohesive sets of images that um, seem to have a focus around an intention, around an idea, around a concept, or around a, some type of story that you're trying to tell or something you're trying to work through. And I'd be curious if you could tell us why you've chosen to work in this way and how that's working out for you. I have to be honest with you and tell you that <laughs> they are actually more time-based. Um, oh, okay. So, for example, Metamorphosis was built over 10 years. Although most of the images that you see there are from the last um, probably... Sorry, until 2010, so it was after I left banking, so about four or five years. Because that was um, after starting the mentorship with Nevada. That was when I started making images that I liked, um, that survived the test of time. <laughs> so, so even though I started in 2010, um, the images that um, remain were from probably 2016 to 2010. Um, 20, I think. Like, sorry, before 20. It was like 19 or so. Remembrance was definitely a project-based, uh, like a theme-based project. And um, I started that in 2016. In other words, I started my chase, um, chasing after uh, cherry blossoms in 2016. Uh, when I after I left banking because I had more time, <laughs> um, and this project was uh, in memory of my mother. Um, I think for the longest time I tried to suppress uh, my memories of her because they were just too sad. Um, when I see like a mother and daughter shopping, right, I would be sad because I would think of my mother, um, and so I just tried not to think of her. Then I realized that over time, that if you stop thinking of something, you forget something. So I was losing the remaining memories I had of her. And mm. I couldn't let that happen. So photographing cherry blossoms was a way for me to preserve that memory, as well as to create new ones, um, but with her spirit present with me, um, so that it's not that sad. So it doesn't touch that point, but um, uh, but it's still it's it's a happier way to remember her to celebrate her life. Mm. Uh, in cherry uh, like in Japan, cherry blossoms are the national flower, and they are uh, symbolic of the concept of monono aware, um, which is um, which speaks to the impermanent impermanence of life. Mm. And it recognizes that it is this uh, very transient nature of life that makes us appreciate our encounters even more. Yes. So to me, it's, um, it's, it's special in that way. For the other projects, um, I think you would see that too uh, were made, uh, were started during COVID-19. COVID-19 brought everything online for me, brought my work online. For the first, uh, I think, four or five months, uh, when everything was um, in lockdown in Japan, I was basically jobless. I mean, nobody really understood uh, or um, believed in the concept of online learning at that time. So, so and, and everyone thought that things would resume very quickly. So, you, were, you were ahead of your time. Right. <laughs> so I was basically jobless for a couple of months. and But that meant I was able to photograph. Um, I started renting an apartment in Hokkaido very, very coincidentally um, in, I think it was in February that year. I have been planning to do that. And having an apartment in Hokkaido meant I could just stay there. 
and like not stay in hotels anymore. So I had, um, I can cook, um, I can be isolated um, and I can continue my uh, photography. So that was in a way a blessing in disguise for me. Mm. That was the silver lining for me. And so photographing it every day meant I saw the sun shift every day, um, like horizontally, like laterally. So I was learning about fog. And for some reason, I was just so attracted by fog uh, during that period of time. Perhaps it mirrored the way I was feeling, like very uncertain about the future. Um, and just like waiting in anticipation for uh, the moment the fog dissipated. So that was this, uh, I think chasing the fog just kept me occupied and, um, and hopeful. <laughs> so that was great. But for the second year of COVID, um, I think I found the second year of COVID more difficult to deal with. I'm not sure about you, but um, it was more difficult for me because I think I was expecting everything to resume to normal, but it didn't, right? And vaccines um, were quite late in Japan. We didn't get it until like probably six months to a year after um, the hmm. state had it. And so I wanted to, like my my plans to go back to Singapore or to do another workshop with Freeman Patterson had to be postponed. So I think that was more uncertainty. But for the second year, I found myself chasing after light. So the first year was fog, the second year was light. Um, so in a way, the projects were time-based. I guess it reflected uh, the state of mind that I was in and the mood that I was in and perhaps the level of maturity that I had <laughs> at that point in time. So, yeah, that's so fascinating because I feel like on any given week, where I'm at in my head and my emotions shifts so much that I don't know that that would work for me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think for me, it's like a general, <laughs> a general shift. So, um, yeah, <laughs> it just happened. No, that's awesome that you can channel that into an idea or a project. I'm, I'm curious, uh, what are some advantages in working in projects that some people might be overlooking? I think for landscape photography, for me at least, um, it feels that, for example, like cherry blossoms, you only get it once a year, right? So, um, and it's not every year that you can make images that um, that you like or that would, or that you will continue liking after a period of time. So I think it's useful in that sense because then you can put your images together and then reassess them as, um, as one further grow um, as a photographer, so especially in my case. So I think that's the benefit for me. What, if, what's, what's your way of um, organizing your work or photographing? Oh, I'm, I'm chaos. I'm all over the place. Mm -hmm. I... I wish I had more discipline when it came to that. I, you know, I, I'm i starting to get there a little bit more in terms of kind of the way I think and the way I'm working in the field. But for the most part, I tend to categorize my, my photography into like, you know, themes. So like forests or mountains or more subject-based. And I would like to get more to kind of what you're talking about in terms of... Um, concepts or ideas or emotions I think that would be much more interesting but I haven't had the time or energy yet to sit down and organize it in that particular way yet but it is something that I want to do in the near future I think I was I was thinking of going the other way around which is subject based <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I think one, one issue that I have with the concept is, I, I think one worry that I had was it's not universal. Um, in the sense that, for example, when I look at an image and I feel that it's joyous, right? Someone else might not feel that it's joyous. Mm -hmm. So that's a concern that I've always had. Because I remember showing one image and someone was, oh, this is um, this is such a happy image, right? Someone said. But someone else said, oh, this is such a sad image. 
So the <laughs> the feedback can be quite the opposite.、Um, but then I realized that oh, I'll, I'll I'll just say what I think it is, <laughs>、uh, and, and probably that's、um, that's one that's one approach. But my concern is always that it's not sufficiently、uh, universal. Yeah, I mean, I think that harkens to one of the main challenges we have as artists is that there's always what we think our photo is about or what it represents, and then there's everyone else looking at its opinion of what it is and what it's about. And I think it's totally okay for there to be a huge difference between those two things because、um, that they don't have to, they don't need necessarily to be the, the same interpretation. And in fact. For me, I think it's really exciting when someone looks at something that I, I don't even see anything in. I'm like, oh, it's just a really cool sunset that I captured, and someone else is like, oh, this reminds me of recovering from alcoholism. I'm just like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what are you talking about? So I think that's pretty cool when that happens. Yes, yes, it is.、Um, I think、uh, the way we look at. Images. Look at anything. It's it's always colored by our own backgrounds, right? Our、yeah. own、um, upbringing, for example. So it's interesting to have different people interpret it, and that's what that's one big lesson I learned, <laughs> which is、um, like some people like a certain image and some people hate it. So、um, at the end of the day, it's what you feel about the image that really. Uh, matters, I think. So your projects being time-based, it sounds like at any given time you might be working on multiple projects at the same time. Yes, that's right.、Uh, so, for example, my cherry blossom project is ongoing, <laughs>、um, and I think I think I might be able to create some theme-based ones. For example, like diamond dust, because I think some of these natural phenomena do. Warrant、um, a project by itself, but I think it's just so difficult to collect、um, to create sufficient images. Like say within one season, it's just impossible. So、um, I would just have to keep working for many years <laughs> in order to to create、uh, sufficient images.、Um, and actually, there's another reason for it being theme based.、Um, I think as a photographer, I'm always trying to. Um, outdo my previous self to yes, outdo world. Yes, of course. <laughs> so、uh, I, I think every year, every couple of months, I feel the need to to make some progress、um, or to to grow in a certain way. So I think that also helps to push、um, me. To photograph maybe in a slightly different way, or to see things in a slightly different way, and because I keep going back to the same places,、uh, and 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 I'm someone who gets bored quite easily, so I I feel an urge、um, from the inside to do things differently, and I think that is also what、um, pushes me to create a new project. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like a clean start, and then I go, ah,、oh, okay, I'm done with the previous one. I'm going to start a different one. So I think、mm -hmm. that helps to、um, perhaps mentally. <laughs> so I'm basically、um, playing with my own psychology <laughs> and saying, oh, you're moving in this direction, so let's have a clean start.、Mm -hmm. That sounds very similar to where I was at maybe two or three years ago. I feel like now I've just given myself. More permission to think think less about what I'm doing and just react to kind of what I find, and then afterwards I can piece it together and understand what it is what it is I was honing in on or what caught my attention. Because I feel like if you go the other way, you risk kind of forcing it a little bit in terms of. Oh, I have to do something new or different or exciting, and then, and then you might. I know this is maybe for me, anyways. You might,、mm, you might miss out on the opportunity to focus on something that might not feel like it's new or different or exciting, but it actually has the much more potential to be different or interesting. Oh, I fully agree with you. I I think when I say new, it's just like 
telling myself it will be new, <laughs> but then, but when I go execute it, it's whatever that catches my eye. <laughs> um, but um, I, I don't know. I just hope that that mindset, um, that desire to see things differently would um, influence me in a certain way. But yeah, when I'm on the field, it's just uh, whatever I get attracted by. I would do big landscapes um, or images um, that are simpler um, by construction, but just because it's beautiful and I feel that I cannot lose that opportunity to make that image. Um, and and so I, I guess I'm quite um, easy on myself when I photograph. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I am too. I I actually just did a um, about a week of photography in northern Spain, and you know we didn't have fantastic weather conditions, but it was okay. Um, but I made I came home with some pretty decent images that I was happy with. Um, and you know when I was in the field, there was definitely some some days where I was like, yeah, I don't think that was any good, and I was right. It wasn't very good, but. Um, there was also other days where I was super excited and I came home with two or three or four images that, from that single day. So I just, you know, it's, it's okay to have a bad outing, you know? Right. And, and I think that's, uh, that's a very good point. It's okay to have a bad outing. And, um, I think when I was taking a workshop with Freeman Patterson, um, and Andre Galland, um, the enthusiasm for nature, the love for nature, uh, just reminded me of my my earlier objective, which was just to have fun, right? Uh, yes. And just to enjoy being in nature and just, um, and photographing was just a way to prolong that sense of serenity. So um, it's, it's not, that's not the original goal. So I think they reminded me of that um, objective I had, but which I forgot over time. Yeah. Well, we've talked about overcoming grief. We've talked about having fun. We've talked about personal expression. What are some other ways in which nature photography has enhanced your life? Oh, has it enhanced my life? I think, um, I'm not sure if it's, I think because of COVID, I've been rethinking where I want to live. (laughs) So... Um, and because I enjoy being in nature so much, uh, I think I'm thinking of moving for good to Hokkaido, out of Tokyo. I'm still based um, out of Tokyo now because I, I first moved to Tokyo because that's where uh, the finance industry is, right? The most active, mm-hmm. the the capital. But um, I think I'm ready to leave um, and move to the countryside, like to somewhere more rural. And it's interesting because I never thought I would ever do that. <laughs> I've always been a city girl. I'm from Singapore, like where everywhere is like skyscrapers and so uh, concrete jungles. Um, so it's it's quite interesting. So I think it's changed um, my overall outlook. I think it started with my mother's death um, that, I mean, her death made me realize that, you know, life uh, can be really short. She died at 50. Um, so, I mean, when I was young, I, I thought I wanted to be like a CEO of a company. I wanted to rise <laughs> to the top. <laughs> um, things like that. So all that's out of the window. Mm. And, and with COVID, right, it just reminded me of the fragility of life and mm-hmm. how important it is. Great um, to live your life, and how less important it is to be like in a city. So I think it's really helped me recalibrate, redefine what I what I view as important in, in life. Mm-hmm. No, that resonates a lot with me. I, I've, it's funny how as you get older, you, your perspectives on these things change because I can remember maybe 10 years ago, all I wanted to do was like improve my leadership skills and, you know, rise rise in a company and like become like maybe the CEO or like the chief operating officer and, you know, 
have monetary success, but the more time I spent in photography and in nature and just experiencing it, the less I value money and the less I value work and all that. I, 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 I you know, money is important, of course, but I don't know. I, I've, I come to value like life experiences and, and getting the most out of my experiences in nature and photography is the vehicle that gets me there. So I, I'm what you just said resonates a lot with me because I, I moved from a big city to another big city to where I live now, which is a city of 20,000 people. And I'm really close to the mountains and, and I don't regret it at all. I mean, it's way more expensive to live here, but, and there's no jobs here at all, <laughs> but yeah, my opportunities to be in nature and to be a photographer have increased exponentially. So I would definitely encourage you to follow that intuition that you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've been thinking of, I mean, this job that I have now, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's still a link with investment banking. Um, but I'm wondering how I can move more into like immerse myself more in, into photography. So I think that might be, and it might not be immediately, but maybe a few years later, that's something that I need to reassess um, if there are more jobs, you know, within the world of photography that I can take and live off of. Um, because now I still need to teach in order to, to keep my employment visa. <laughs> I, I need my day job. <laughs> right. So, but hopefully over time I can be able to find more opportunities in photography and just, um, yeah, fully immerse in it and um, leave finance forever. <laughs> so that would be my goal. <laughs> well, I definitely wish you luck there. Mm -hmm. um, tell us about your recent article in Elements Magazine. So uh, my uh, next article for Elements is on the... Um, is on the idea of is, is on the issue of preconceptions. Um, I think back in 2018, I reached a, a roadblock in my photography. Um, I was failing to make images that I liked, and I was uh, frequently fighting disappointment. And I think after struggling for some time, I realized the issue was um, I was becoming a little too particular about uh, the images that I wanted to make or the conditions that I wanted to photograph in. Mm. Um, for example, um, if there was not enough insufficient amount of fog, I would feel that uh, the image would not be a success. Or if there are insufficient number of snow bugs, you know, with white wings glistening in the sky, then um, it's, it's not good enough. So I think I was having all these preconceptions and being bound by them. So there would be days where I would um, perhaps not go out and, and just be lazy because I feel that the conditions are not right. Uh, Arthur Myerson, who taught me at the Santa Fe workshops in, I think, 2010, he said in an interview with um, John Paul Caponegro that um, he's always tried to, let me quote him, um, I've always tried to avoid preconceptions. Otherwise, you're more likely to be disappointed by what you don't find and more likely to overlook the obvious. Uh, it's important to learn to play the hand that's dealt to you. So it's something similar to what you said earlier. And I wanted to share this quote because preconceptions um, was at the root of my problems. I think I simply forgot to uh, enjoy going out, you know, um, and not say, oh, because I wanted to photograph this, so I'm going out now. But uh, I'm going out because I enjoy being out. So I think that's really important. So, but being able to identify my problem uh, did not translate into a solution. So a good friend of mine, Tanya Amachayev, uh, recommended that I take a workshop with Freeman Patterson and Andre Gallant. Um, and I did in 2019, and it proved um, to be a turning point in my life. I mean, both of them, Freeman and Andre, they love um, photography and they love nature. 
So uh, like just being around them made me realize that I was losing that enthusiasm um, and I was forgetting uh, the purpose of photographing. And so they had some really simple exercises that brought me back to the basics. Um, I think they had one where we had to stay in one spot and photograph for like 30 minutes. Uh, so that was a huge challenge to um, seeing things creatively. But it was that exercise, that first exercise on the first day of our workshop that made me realize that creativity is, is the solution to everything. So I think it was this workshop with them that helped me um, exit um, my struggles. I love that. that sure. I, I had a very mm. similar experience myself. I've talked about it on the podcast before, but... I, I used to be very, very, very tied to preconceived ideas or, or conditions or specific images in my mind that I wanted to capture. And I, if I showed up to a location and it wasn't like what I thought it was going to be, that was really depressing and it would upset me. And of course, I'm sure there was like 100,000 other pictures within 20 feet radius of where I was standing when I was upset. But I was, you know, I was letting those preconceptions drive my whole process and I don't do that anymore and it's it helps uh, tremendously right I think it's liberating when we are not like um when we do not have goals like that you know like oh I like going to photograph that and because when we miss it like you said we will become really disappointed right and we're finding that disappointment as well so um, I think it just complicates the matters by having these preconceptions. It's quite yeah. funny. Last year, I was um, I was photographing. I was, you know, I, I had my camera and like my tripod focused on one tree, and I was like waiting for. The, I was hoping and waiting for the flowers to fly, the petals to drop and fly. But then suddenly, I mean, I I heard the wind on my right. And I saw paddles flying over a different tree. <laughs> so I had to like uproot myself and then rush to this other part of uh, this beautiful forest. And um, so, like you said, you know, it can be so close and we just miss it uh, because we are so set on something else. So that, that, that was a good reminder for me to uh, look around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look around. Um, yeah. So in the article, I also wrote about uh, my COVID experience, which I spoke to you about earlier um, in greater detail. So that's um, what will be coming up in my next uh, Elements article. I love it. And um, Last but not least, what uh, what kind of workshops do you have coming up that our audience should know about? Yeah, it's going to be my maiden workshop. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get some guinea pigs. At uh, Santa Fe Workshops, my alma mater. Um, and so I'm really excited to be teaching there because that's where I learned, you know, um, that's what changed my life, right? Photography mm. did. So I'm excited to be uh, teaching there and also um, to speak about, um, speak in more, speak with more concrete details on how I photograph. <laughs> Love it. When, when is that happening? Uh, September. It's going to happen, I think, in the second half of September. Okay. In an awesome. online workshop. Yeah. Perfect. Well, good deal. So last, lastly, last question, who do you recommend for the podcast? Who are some people that have inspired you or some people that we should learn more about? You know, we were talking about um, projects earlier. Uh, and I think when I saw this person's website, uh, and this person is Samuel Farron, I saw his website, I think I was blown away. Um, because I think there were very few images for each project, but they were so cohesive. Um, aesthetically and I fell in love with his work um, a few years ago and I follow him um, his like Instagram social media and I hope uh, to create images like his <laughs> so something more emotional um, and his use of colors is beautiful 
I mean, Kweebo um, Ho, I know you have interviewed her before. I mean, I love her use of black and white. It's, for uh-huh. Samuel, it's like a very similar feel, but in color. So okay. I'm a fan of both of their work. Um, another person is Maurice Henry. Um, and I met him at uh, Freeman Patterson and um, his, his workshop last year. He's the founder of uh, Cameras for Healing. And I think it's a very, very meaningful project that he's undertaken. Um, he equips people with cameras to help them heal from their past traumas. Um, he has done that for people in Canada, which is where he's from, but he has also traveled to other countries, um, like, say, Somalia, Africa, to help people there as well. So, uh, and I've seen his photographs, they're beautiful too. <laughs> so, so um, uh, I hope you can uh, speak with him too. Then there is uh, Ragna. Um, I think his last name is Sigurdsson. Um, sorry, I must have butchered his last name, but uh, Ragna okay. is from Iceland and he makes some incredible images i think he's a cancer survivor and um i think he has fo- he has i think he has a book on fire and ice it's just uh, it's quite amazing and i think in order to make i've always felt that in order to make good images you really need to be be there right um and spend enough time there to familiarize yourself with the landscape of course he's a local um, and so some amazing scenes. Um, that said, um, Daniel Corden is a photographer whom I just um, started following recently. He guides people on tours to different places like Indonesia and Hokkaido. And although he doesn't spend a lot of time at each of the places, he makes some really beautiful photographs. So that kind of redefined my understanding. I think, oh, uh, maybe you don't have to spend that much time after all. So uh, I started following him. He has a very, um, he has a signature style. Um, the, the way he processes his images, which I thought was quite interesting, quite dreamy. Um, yeah. But, but I feel like I'm, that guy is in a new country like every week. Right? But I'm amazed at how he manages to make good images from each place, um, despite being there for such a short time. So I would like to learn his secrets. <laughs> well, Photoshop is pretty powerful these days. I'll just say I, that. I, I know he has um, a Photoshop uh, program, so I would love to um, to, to better learn about um, that. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there is Seth, uh, Seth Resnick, who is another of my mentors, um, he has photographed actively in uh, Antarctica in a number of places. Um, I think I remember taking a workshop with him um, a couple of years ago, and he reprocessed one of my images using Lightroom, and he changed it completely. It was uh, it was it was beautiful. <laughs> Like the emotions uh, that um, that that I could feel uh, from his from his version was just quite amazing. So um, it opened my eyes to the power of processing. Yeah. I think for me, I tried to stay as I for me, I tried to stay as much as possible to as, as close as possible to um, to what nature had presented me. Um, because I think I see myself in a way, using this word, it's not right, documentarian, but I, I see myself as um, recording the scene um, and trying to replicate uh, the emotions that, that I felt um, when I made uh, the image. But I think to the extent possible, I try to stay um, closer to what the image, uh, to, to, to what the scene was. So, um, but it's something, it's food for thought, I felt. So, for sure. Uh, it's quite interesting. Anyway. Yeah. 
So these are the people who I recommend. You have recommend and like you have interviewed so many people uh, on my list of favorites. So it's difficult to recommend more. <laughs> I know it's getting harder every week. <laughs> and you already well, have Nevada Weir on your list, so that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, Shuen, this has been awesome, and I am so happy we could finally make this conversation a reality. Yes, thank you. Thank you again for writing about my work and now for interviewing me. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for of, this opportunity. Of course. Well, thank you to Shuan for the wonderful conversation here on the podcast. I am really looking forward to seeing more of your amazing photography, so please keep it up. I highly encourage listeners to take a look at her work as it is both excellent and quite unique. Thank you again to everyone who has helped keep the podcast going by supporting us on Patreon. I really appreciate it. That's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.